0: Gospel with Dr. Halista Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Welcome back, and. What I'd like to do today is maybe wrap up what we did last week, the, the exercise we did and working through the, the blessings of the Proverbs 31. Uh, we always say the Proverbs 31 woman, but it's, it's more like the Proverbs 31 parable of the Holy Spirit and showing the, in this case, how the the scriptures use a woman to personify these characteristics of the Holy Spirit, just like in other places in the book of Proverbs, like uh, wisdom is uh, personified as a woman and understanding and so forth. So the same thing in Proverbs 31, the, the Holy Spirit, again, is being personified as a woman. And so it's offering you the a complementary lens, we might say, of looking at the blessings on the 12 tribes of Israel upon the 12 sons and our clue that motivated us to start looking in that direction of course was the blessing on the tribe of Asher because Asher in the the blessings was placed last which is not his birth order so when something is out of place in scripture that's when we start asking questions why is it out of order and what's the message What's the subtext? And often things are concealed for a reason because it's not time for us to know, and sometimes things are concealed just so that we'll seek them out, that we'll ask those questions, and uh, as we work through one of the exercise that we did last week, as we worked through the specific blessings upon the twelve sons of Israel, and then we match them up to a corresponding blessing in Proverbs 31, which I think is a great exercise to do. So what was the point of going through all that? Is it just to show that there's a both a masculine and a feminine way of looking at these blessings? Well, I mean, it never hurts to see that, but that's not the main idea. The main idea, I believe, was that Yeshua, when he comes, his kingdom will be characterized by unity, that the things that we discount often are the things that Scripture emphasizes. The things that are not so desirable to us, Scripture emphasizes those. The things that we do think are important, we see the Scripture de-emphasizing those things. So often there's we're out of balance. The Scripture is not out of balance at all. Sometimes we're out of balance. And we can look back on our lives and say, yes, we're a product of our environment. We're a product of where we came from. But the scripture is there so that if, you know, there there are some ways that we kind of got off the path a little bit in terms of the way that scripture describes things that we can unbend that. That's what it means to be Yeshurun. And remember, the the blessing of Asher was linked to the blessing of Yeshurun, simply by being placed last, that blessing being in last place. We saw that it it drove directly into the blessings of Yeshurun, the straight ones, which is the nickname of Israel, when they're doing the right things, when they're in a proper relationship with the Holy One, they're called Yeshurun, straight Mm -hmm. ones. So we spend most of our lives. I don't know how we got crooked so early, but um, you know, once you encounter Yeshua, it seems as though you spend the rest of your life trying to straighten out bent things, bent ideas, bent ways of doing things, bent feelings. You know, it's it's very common to hear, "Well, you you can't dictate someone's feelings." No, you can't dictate them, but those feelings as strong as they are, and as powerful as they are, yes, feelings are feelings. But sometimes we shouldn't be feeling that way. When somebody like say Cain and Abel, when someone is jealous, when they're feeling that strong emotion of jealousy, that's not a valid feeling. We can't say, well, he just felt what he felt. Well, feeling what he felt led him to kill his brother. So there are certain feelings that if if we don't master them, if we don't control them, they are crouching at the door to overtake us and rule us and eventually subject the spirit of Adonai to just feelings and thoughts and desires. And that's not the way that we were created. We were created for the spirit to have authority over what we think we feel we want. So sometimes we have to tell our feelings, you know what, you're in grief right now. And I can't change the way I'm feeling. But I can change the way I'm thinking about I'm feeling because, see, I'm, I might be giving myself permission to, to be in this pity party, to feel sorry for myself, or I might be giving myself permission to be jealous of someone. And there's all sorts of negative emotions that I might be giving myself permission to feel just say, well, I feel what I feel. I can't change the way I feel. You Yeah, you, you actually could. You could change the way that you felt if you knew that it was an improper emotion. How do you change the way you feel? Well, it starts by focusing on what the truth is. See, truth is not necessarily reflected in your feelings. And so if the truth of the word is you should not envy, you should not be jealous, you should not hate your brother in your heart, you should not feel sorry for yourself, you should not be grief ridden to the point that it freezes your life, then you may not be able to change the feeling overnight, but you can change the way that you look at truth and say, hey, the truth is, that i was created to bless i don't know i was created to praise him i can't do that from a place of grief i can cry out to him from a place of grief and say father deliver me out of this depression father deliver me out of this anxiety father deliver me out of this hatred if that's what you're feeling deliver me out of this envy and if you reach out to him then he will reach out to you and he will begin to help you and the way that you feel might begin to change it might change fast it might take years. And that's okay. If it takes years, don't beat yourself up and say, I'm never going to conquer this. You keep going back to that well of salvation, that well of redemption over and over and over as many times as it takes until the feeling matches the decision. So yes, we can sometimes be the product of the way that we were brought up, but we don't have to settle for that. We can make positive changes. And so going back to the scripture shows us how to line up with truth. It's just that often this, the spiritual side of our, our walk is concealed within the more physical stories or the more physical commandments when it's the it's the spirit of the Torah. It's the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. You have to put the two together. Or they're not really alive. You put the two together and now they're functioning how they should be. So that's the, I think the benefit of maybe doing an exercise like comparing the the more male approach to the blessings on the tribes of Israel to the proverbs 31 to the female side of it because you put those two together and even though they're different, they're complementary and that's the way we we should approach our walk is in a great balance because when Messiah Yeshua returns, he is going to replant his vineyard in the physical land of Israel. And so let me, I want to show you two scriptures. Uh, The first one is Psalm 80, verse eight. It says, you removed a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. Okay, he took the vine out of Egypt and then he drove out the nations. Which nations? He drove out the Canaanite nations and planted it in the land of Israel. And who is the vine? Well, Israel is the vine. Psalm 128, verses one through four. It says, How blessed, Asherah. Hear the tribe of Asher in there, which means happy or or fortunate. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy, Asherah, and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And so we can see even in the song that the wife is there in the, the context of Ashrei, which means happy or blessed, but it, it's linked to the tribe of Asher. And so Israel is prophesied to be this fruitful wife at the table, sitting down with the, at the table of her creator, being planted again in the land of Israel and enjoying you know the benefits of unity as a nation. She's supposed to be praised for this. And that was what was said of Judah. His name was a matter of praise. The Torah of kindness was on her tongue. Okay, let's look at another one here right quick. How about Levi? Levi is verses 8 through 11. It says, of Levi, he said, let your Tumim and your Urim be with your faithful one, whom you tested at Massah, challenged at the waters of Meribah, who said of his father and mother, I consider them not. His brothers he disregarded, ignored his own children. Your precepts alone they observed and kept your covenant. They shall teach your laws to Jacob and your instructions to Israel. They shall offer you incense to savor and whole offerings on your altar. Bless, O Lord, his substance and favor his undertakings. Smite the loins of his foes Let his enemies rise no more. That is, I think, might be, other than Joseph, that might be the longest blessing in terms of space. It takes up a lot of space on the page. All right, so we've got a blessing here of the Urim and the Tumim, which is the perfections and the lights, which Urim would be the lights, Tumim would be the perfections. A blessing of observing the word in the covenant, teaching the ordinances and the Torah. He places the incense and the burnt offerings on the altar. His resources will be blessed. The work of his hand will be blessed. He will smash the loins of his enemies and his enemies will not rise. So how do we connect that here back to our our daughters of Asher, our daughters of the spirit? Well, let's go to verse 15. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens." Well, this is symbolic again of Torah and prophecy, uh, giving food to the household, feeding the This is what Yeshua did. He fed his household. He even did miracles with bread to feed his household, like Moses was associated with the manna. He fed the household with the word. Moses not only fed the word, he was part of this process where the manna was seen to have fallen in his merit representing the word from heaven. She girds her own loins. Well, remember the Levites had to do this. This was part of their blessing is not just the services. They had to remember they had to wear a belt. They had to wear a sash in order to gird their loins, to give them that sense of mission, to give them that sense of authority. Well, this proverb woman, Proverbs woman, she knows her own authority. She knows the authorities that she has. I'm sure like Hannah did in the temple. She wasn't just, you know, a singleton out there wandering around the temple. You know, she wasn't, uh, (laughs) she wasn't homeless. (laughs) She was there on purpose. And she was there with the validation of the temple authorities. You don't do anything in the temple that they don't allow you to do. They have policemen there. They have temple guards. So they're not just going to let old ladies hang out and bother everybody. But if they're there with a purpose, if they have a mission, if they have spiritual authority to do what they're doing, they're probably glad to have her to be there with the prayer and the fasting. And so she's not a Levitical priest, but she was a royal priest. She was doing a specific work in the house of Adonai. She was working in the natural realm under the authority of the priesthood and the Levites. But what authority was she working under in the spiritual realm? Under the authority of the Holy One. So she girds her own loins, uh, just like the the Levites. They would go trim the menorah, refill the menorah, and do the incense service. And these are seen as tied together as offering prayers on behalf of the nation. This is exactly what Hannah was doing, offering prayers on behalf of the nation. She was doing the work of the menorah and the incense altar, but not in the holy place. Uh, The Torah is on her tongue. It says the Torah is on her tongue. And she has these surpassing achievements. She has these perfections. That's all you could say about her, really, in terms of her perfection. It also says she considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard, right? So what is she doing? She's taking the blessing from the work of her hands and she's reinvesting it. What did Hannah do? She took the infant, Yeshua, She sees the blessing that he is on Israel. And when she she reinvests the word, she takes the word in and then she reinvests the word and starts preaching the redemption to those who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She's planting a vineyard. And remember, the vineyard is associated with Israel, by the way. Uh, So not just girding herself with strength and making her arms strong. uh, She makes coverings for herself in verse 22. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Okay. Like the priesthood, but not the Levitical priesthood. What are these coverings? Again, remember it was the wise women who spun the coverings for the tabernacle. She's doing this. She's doing a priestly work, but not necessarily a priestly. Remember the blessing is from sons. She's not a Levite, but based on the Levitical template, she's doing priestly work. Uh, What was the next one? 26. She opens her mouth in wisdom. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. That was part of the responsibilities of the Levites was to teach the Torah, to teach the ordinances, to teach the Torah. Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. You excel them all. We can see that the the praise is very much a part of the blessing of Levi. He's being held up as, you know, uh, an example of having not even regarded his own family when it came to the golden calf. If if you messed up in the golden calf, the tribe of Levi was coming after you with a sword. No nonsense. Kind of sounds like Kana, doesn't it? No nonsense at all. And then, what was there? 31, give her the product of her hands. Let her works praise her in the gates. Uh, again, uh, she's being praised for her courage like Levi. Being known in the gates is being known in places of decision, judgment, and importance. And surely Hannah is known for this because she's one of the quote-unquote gatekeepers. Shimon, the priest, and then Hannah, the royal priest, not a Levitical priest. All right, let's take another one here, Benjamin, kind of short. Here it says, of Benjamin he said, beloved of the Lord, he rests securely beside him ever does he protect him as he rests between his shoulders. It's kind of a comfort, that overriding blessing of Benjamin's comfort, because we know that the temple itself was located in Benjamin's territory. And that was the way of speaking about Benjamin as he rested between Judah's shoulders. So because of the strength of Judah and the blessing of Judah, there was a security there for Benjamin as well, especially because of the location of the temple being there. Verse 12 she does him good. Well, let's back up one. The heart of her husband trusts her. He will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. There's a sense of security there. And we can see that's a blessing from Benjamin, as a sense of secure dwelling. Uh, not only in the case of the Proverbs woman, it's not as though she's dwelling securely in her husband, even though she does. It's In this case, says he's dwelling securely because of her because of what she does, right? Joseph, the dew, dew also represents doctrine. It says of Joseph, he said, "'Blessed of the Lord be his land, "'with the bounty of dew from heaven "'and of the deep that couches below, "'with the bounteous yield of the sun, "'and the bounteous crop of the moons, "'with the best from the ancient mountains, "'and the bounty of hills immemorial, "'with the bounty of earth in its fullness, "'and the favor of the presence in the bush.'" May these rest on the head of Joseph, on the crown of the elect of his brothers, like a firstling bull in his majesty. He has horns like the horns of the wild ox. With them, he gores the peoples, the ends of the earth, one and all. These are the myriads of Ephraim. And those are the thousands of Menashe. All right, so pretty extensive. Do we have anything that, that might match it? Well, it makes a curious statement here. It says, verse 14, with the bounteous yield of the sun and the bounteous crop of the moons. That's interesting because it says about the Proverbs woman, she rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. So, everything we know about her, she's not just busy during the day. She's busy all night too. Well, not all night, but she's getting up in the night. And so this is a, a blessing on Joseph. There's this industry of being prepared morning and evening, which is an apocalyptic sort of thing, because as you get into the New Testament, you realize the apostles are warning us. Yeshua's warning us, don't go to sleep. He, he says, like, if I come in the second watch of the night, or even the third, right? He, he's telling us, she... Be spiritually aware. It doesn't mean you can't ever go to sleep. He's telling you remain spiritually aware, which is what it's being said here of the Proverbs woman. Of course, the crops it mentions here that she considers a field and buys it. Twenty one and twenty two. She's not afraid of the judgment. Well, here it says the favor of the presence in the bush. May these rest on the head of Joseph. You know, it was a frightening thing, but nevertheless, he was favored and. We get this idea, she's not afraid of the snow because she's she's covered. She's favored with that covering. 22, 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. Well, Joseph has horns like the horns of the wild ox. He gores the peoples, the ends of the earth, one and all. So, again, she's part of this. She has strength. Like this, the more literal strength of Joseph that we we would envision is being matched over here by her spiritual strength. Uh, she's a strong, spiritually strong woman. I like that. Strength and dignity are her clothing. That's pretty cool. 18, she senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. That makes me think too of Levi, because uh, when the priest would go in and trim the lamps, they didn't go out at night, it was, so they would stay lit all night. But the the good gain, we see here the bounteous crops that she's bringing in. So there's, there's a little match right there. Her children rise up and bless her. Well, what happens over here? It mentions the children of Joseph, Ephraim, and Menashe, that they are blessed with the myriads and the thousands. And we could probably just keep going through this. So the next one is going to be Zebulun. Zebulun. In verse 18, of Zebulun, he said, rejoice, O Zebulun, on your journeys, and Issachar in your tents. These two are always, just try it. Any list of the tribes, because they'll change from place to place in scripture. Like I said, where they're mentioned in scripture, it has a context. He's, he's your challenge when you see different lists of the tribes. It's not to arrive at the good list, it's to recognize the context of that list. So you'll get the kind of the second story of, of what he's saying, right? Because sometimes it might be like, uh, count your warriors. Well, in that context, you know it's for war. And there'll be other reasons to count, but that's that's one reason why you'll see the, the order mixed up. Uh, okay, so Zebulun and Issachar, they're always together. It doesn't matter which list you go to, they're pretty much together. And they must have been that tight as two tribes. They must have been very much alike. And of course, you know, what the rabbis say about these two is that Issachar were the studiers, they were the scholars Zebulun were good at commerce and so Zebulun would go out and and they would expend the effort to go out in commercial activity to make the money and then they would support the Torah scholars among Issachar because Issachar was of the tents like Jacob he was a man of the tents he was a man who liked to study and so if you study right then you do right and you need both you need The ability to study, but you need the ability to apply. And so with Zebulun, the Torah was very practical, going out and doing it. But how did they know how to do it? Well, they were in a partnership with Issachar. And Issachar, as they studied the word, they get down the layers, the layers. It's always about studying the layers. And as they uncover something, they say, hey, Zebulun, this is the application. So they had great scholars in Issachar, but a scholar if you're going to be a scholar you need help typically you're you're if you throw yourself into say a business like Zebulun did you're going to be too exhausted to study you're not going to have the energy left to study what you need is you know a sideline <laughs> to keep you going i guess that's what i've got as a sideline but it, it takes the two if if you're going to study at that depth if you're going to have schools and things like that You need people to throw their energy into those things, but then you need people there to support those endeavors. So that's why you see these two uh, together a lot. And their their blessings really are tied together right here in the text. So of Zebulun, he said, rejoice. So Zebulun on your journeys and Issachar in your tents. They invite their kin to the mountain where they offer sacrifices of success. For they draw from the riches of the sea and the hidden hordes of the sand. See, you can't even separate their blessing out right here. It's just like the rest of scripture. I know, weird things fascinate me. But there's value here. Success, there's riches, there's success. The riches of the sea. Well, what's one of the biggest riches of the sea? Pearls. Pearls, like pearly gates. Pearls. Well, what do we know about the Proverbs woman? Well, we get the idea in verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. He's going to be a successful person. What do we know about Zebulun and Issachar? Because they were partners, they were successful. As long as they stayed partners, they were successful. They had no lack of gain. So she's like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. That's what Zevalun did. They had the merchant ships and they bring the food from afar. Again, what does that mean? It's that diversity of ideas about the Torah text itself, because we're still doing that today. That hasn't stopped. Since the Torah was given at C9. we're still trying to unpack the Torah and find those hidden treasures. And part of the beauty of it is that, again, even though Israel was scattered, she has con- continued to study in the nations of her scattering And so when she comes back to the land, she comes back with a perspective. And in that sense, it's very tasty food. It's just like, hey, there's kosher Mexican food. Hey, there's kosher Thai food. Hey, no matter where you go, you you don't have to take the worst of those places. You take the best of those places, and it adds to this bride of Messiah as Israel, and all of a sudden, she's bringing her food from afar, and it's still good food. It's still kosher food, right? It's not just the word, but it's people who have ingested that word, and they've begun obeying that word, and so somebody from Thailand, as they learn the Torah, and they turn to Yeshua, what do they They become? This kosher treasure that can be brought back to Jerusalem, and it's going to have the flavor of Thailand, of that nation, and, you know, the the flavor of Peru, or the flavor of Japan, and it'll all be kosher. And this partnership, like, I wouldn't mind being a part of that tribe. But again, remember, with these tribes, it's understood they all share in the blessings, each blessing, but it's going to be characteristic more of certain tribes. Uh, what else? She opens her mouth in wisdom, the teaching of kindness is on her tongue, that's thought to be uh, the one who does the teaching because they do the studying. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. What's happening here, she's making the linen garments, remember that we have a garment of salvation, but we also have garments of righteousness, linen garments of righteousness, and she supplies the belts. That go with them. Remember the authority, symbolized by the sash or the belt, the sense of mission and purpose. As Zebulun goes out and proclaims the gospel to the nations, what does he do? Well, because of Issachar, he can supply the nations with these uh, treasures of the Torah, with the righteousness of the Torah, the righteousness of Yeshua. Remember, Yeshua is the one who's gird about. Also, so we were giving them the authority of Yeshua, the authority of the word, a sense of purpose and mission as Israel. That's a rich blessing right there. Let's do another one, Issachar. We say, well, what happened to Issachar? You just got tents. That's okay. That's okay. Because if we understand that the tents, again, reflect Torah study, um, that's, that's the read that the rabbis got from Jacob when they said he was a man of the tents. And they believe that there's, what, 11 or 12 missing in the life of Jacob. And they believe that he studied with Shem in Shalem or Jerusalem. Today it would be Jerusalem back then, would have been called Shalem. And they believe that he studied with Shem during that period, those those missing years. All right, so the tents, um, she looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in the light. Remember the wise women? They spun the tent the tabernacle, the mishkan, and they spun it with wool. They used wool to do it. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. That's part of the spinning process. And then it says she opens her mouth in wisdom. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Remember, Issachar, they studied. They would find the best applications of the word, and then Zebulun could take it out into the nations. It's kind of a, like a a missionary blessing almost. Okay, God in verse 20, it says of God, he said, blessed be he who enlarges God. Poised is he like a lion to tear off arm and scalp. He chose for himself the best, for there is the portion of the revered chieftain, for the heads of the people come. He executed the Lord's judgments and his decisions for Israel. Okay, that's a pretty hefty blessing in terms of the real estate. Not like Joseph, uh, not like Levi, but still, we can see there's nothing much that's changed with Gad. He was part of the shock troops. He, he would be the first soldiers into battle. He's he still identified there with the shock troops, very strong. And again, try it in different translations, but we see here, blessed be he who enlarges God. Right. This is what we see the Proverbs woman doing. She's broadening her influence, both in her own household with the coverings and with the food of her household. But we see that she goes from the household out into the vineyard. She goes out and she she plants a vineyard. She takes the garments and the belts of righteousness out to the tradesmen, again, so that it can be passed out there into the world, like Zebulun and Issachar. And so, blessed be he who enlarges Gad. Gad is also going to be broadened. He's also going to enlarge his influence. Uh, He strengthens his arms and loins because he's he's a soldier. He has a soldier's attitude. And Gad actually means troop, like a troop of soldiers. This is very much a ministry of, I wouldn't say mission work. But mission work in the sense that God is not afraid to set something up, to risk uh, being at the forefront of something. If he sees a good work, he will be right out there doing it. Just like she sees a vineyard, she's like, that's a good vineyard. That's a good place for a vineyard. I'm going to go plant a vineyard there. That's the attitude of God. He says, that's an opportunity. That's a spiritual opportunity. I'm going to go do it. And when he does that, he broadens just like she does. She brought and she gets a vineyard. She brought and she sends these products out into the world. She brought and she extends her hand to the poor and to the needy. Apparently the the Gadites uh, were such good soldiers that it it would have been a real problem for the rest of the tribes to conquer their territories without him. So uh, very helpful in that sense of personal sacrifice on behalf of others, uh, able to anticipate a need, and, and just kind of go out there and take care of it. Um, and often I would say that the, the Gadites are underappreciated. The Gadites are underappreciated. They're more appreciated when you're in a bind, and you need something. But once you get your territory, once you can sit down and rest, you tend to forget the Gadites. Uh, but his influence is still there uh, because he was willing to to broaden to to extend himself, and it says poised is he like a lion to tear off arm and scalp. Something I read somewhere else. It might have been in that tribal book. The arm and the scalp refer to where the tefillin are put on. Remember, you you shall put them as a sign on your head and on your arm. Well, the the arm is where you put one of them. The head is where you put the other. The arm and the head, there is protection there. If you will walk in his word, there is protection. What if you don't have protection, in other words, what if you're a wicked person? What if you're not walking in the word? God is not afraid to tear off your arm and your scalp (laughs) if you're a wicked person. It says he chose for himself the best for there is the portion of the revered chieftain for the heads of the people come. He executed the Lord's judgments and his decisions for Israel. Obviously, there's a lot more there to unpack. But for the sake of time, it says she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. That is Gad. Gad does not eat the bread of idleness. He's always doing something, whether he's tearing off the arm and the head, or developing the best portions, choosing the first, why does he choose the first plot of land? Because he can see, he thinks with the front part of his brain, a lot of people don't. He sees, hey, I'm a shepherd, this is good pasture. I need to develop this, looks ahead, right? We we need to have that blessing for sure. And this is what we see of the, the Proverbs woman. It says, her house has no fear of the snow, because they're all covered in scarlet. They're not covered in scarlet because she just thought about it after it started snowing. She thought about it long before it started snowing. Let's see. Um, of Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's whelp that leaps forth from Bashan. Right, that lion's whelp. Um, again, we, we've been talking about the lion's whelp, the cub, the lion, and the lioness done, uh, there's an element here of spiritual immaturity that that might be, he's like a child, It says leaping from Bashan. We might have to go up into the upper part of Proverbs 31, back into verses 8 and 9 to really get a handle on that. I don't want to take the time to do that today, but where it says she extends her hand to the poor, she stretches out her hands to the needy, I think we get an example of this from Samson or Shemshan. Remember, he had this whole riddle with the lion. (laughs) Uh, But leaping forth from Bashan, the the idea is when you need help, he leaps out. And that's what we could say about Samson in a time when Israel was in a state of poverty and, and neediness. That's when he stepped up as a judge. Did he have some issues? Certainly he did. And in fact, Don is missing in the list in Revelation. Doesn't mean he's not there. He is because the text clearly tells you they're all there. He's just not listed by name and neither is Ephraim. Minashe is named. Joseph is named. Minashe is excluded. Don is excluded by name, but not by presence. They're both there. Why would you exclude those two names? Because this is where the alternate altars of the golden calves were set up in the Northern Kingdom. And that's why I say, pay attention to your context. You know by who's missing what the point is being made right there. When it talks about the 144,000, it talks about them being virgins, being spiritually pure. Pure. Well, the two tribes who we can associate with not being virgins (laughs) in the spiritual sense are going to be Dan and Ephraim because those altars were set up in their territories. Doesn't mean they're excluded. It means in that list, you need to understand it's representing the spiritual purity that Israel has recovered. Okay. Which that's kind of a side trail for us. Of Naphtali, he said, Oh Naphtali, sated with favor and full of the Lord's blessing, take possession on the west and the south. Take possession on the west and on the south. Some translations will say the sea because the west and the sea are kind of the same thing at this particular time. If you go west, that's the Mediterranean Sea. So that is the west and the sea. Okay, so the sea and the south. Uh, again, that uh, reminds us of the pearls. Her that says her worth is far above jewels. Right. Uh, again, the blessing. Her worth is far above jewels. Jewels or Uh, Yeah, jewels. If we go back to Mount Sinai, if you'll remember, after the people sinned with the golden calf, Moses made them take off their jewelry, their jewelry, their adi. Jewelry is seen as something for a bride. And so uh, with Naphtali, these, uh, these blessings of the sea, like the pearls, the jewels, Um, That would be part, again, of righteous deeds. The south uh, is seen as a place of favor because the damaging uh, hail, rain, snow was seen as coming out of the direction of the north. But from the south drew dews and the light rains. And it was symbolic also of resurrection, like renewal. So Naftali is going to have that that sense of um, renewal. Again, with the sea, the merchandise, we see her bringing her merchandise from afar. We see her selling her merchandise into faraway places. Um, And then, you know, and with Naftali, if we we took the other set of blessings given by uh, Jacob, it would enhance this even more. But we see Naftali, gives gets beautiful words, beautiful words. Well, what do beautiful words do? They give life, they, they resurrect you. When you're in a low place, if somebody quotes the right scriptures with favor, it's like a resurrection from the dead. Um, where they say a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and frames of silver. That's what it says in Proverbs. And Naftali knows how to... Uh, not necessarily like Issachar, do that deep, 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 deep teaching, even though there are the treasures of the sea there. Uh, It's fitly spoken words, fitly spoken words. And there's also a sense of blessing, too, that because the words are so good, there's a diplomatic element to this because in the other blessing, remember, he's like on the mountain. He's like a hind on the mountains. Well, mountains represent peoples. And so the blessing of Nafti, Naftali, give the beautiful words, but not just to your own household, to send those beautiful words out to the mountains, out to the peoples. The sea also represents the peoples, the sea and the mountains. And so that that diplomatic, knowing the right words to say, because we can have every word of the Torah in our heads, but if we don't know the right time to say it, we don't know how to package and place the words in the proper situation. We we don't get the result of blessing. And the the last one, the one that of course we were been studying, is the the blessing on Asher as the blessing of daughters. Of Asher, he said, "Most blessed of sons, be Asher. May he be the favorite of his brothers. May he dip his foot in oil. May your door bolts be iron and copper, and your security last." All your days, and so there's another element of Asher that we'll talk about maybe next week. The the iron and copper locks. What does that mean? But he's the most blessed, blessed from sons, plenty of olive oil, but also sealed in security and purity into old age. There's no fear of old age in the tribe of Asher. Asher just gets better and better with age, better and better with age. I mean, what a blessing. Right, just like Hannah in the temple, better and better. Age eighty-four, most you know, (laughs) I get tired now. But she was eighty-four, and she's still just serving night and day in the temple with fastings and prayers. So it's like she has a blessing of youth into her old age. She's still active in the kingdom in her old age, and she's pure. And that's what I'm going to talk about next week: is the purity of Asher is a sealed garden, that she maintains a security of her purity. She holds on to it. She's not the in and out, up and down. And if you're in and out and up and down, (laughs) you don't give up, right? It's better to be in and out, up and down than just out. But you need to start praying for the blessing of the tribe of Asher, which is a constancy that you just get better with age. You get younger With age, you serve more with age, you get more single minded with age. And instead of becoming more unstable with the passing of time, you have your feet firmly planted in the temple with the passing of time. If you've still got your Bible open, you can see by putting Asher last, which is not where he goes in birth order, this is out of order. And some of these others are out of order too. But Asher, specifically by being placed last, most blessed of sons. He will be blessed from sons. If you keep reading, it goes straight into the majesty of Adonai. Asher is directly linked to the majesty of Adonai. It says, oh Yeshurun, there is none like God riding through the heavens to help you through the skies in his majesty. The ancient God is a refuge, a support are the arms everlasting. He drove out the enemy before you by his command, destroy. Thus, Israel dwells in safety, untroubled as Jacob's abode, in a land of grain and wine under heaven's dripping dew. O oh, happy Israel, who is like you, a people delivered by the Lord, your protecting shield, your sword triumphant, your enemies shall come cringing before you, and you shall tread on their backs. So if we take all of these blessings of the 12 tribes, and we match them up with these spiritual blessings of the daughters in Proverbs 31, we can see that the complement, not just that Adonai himself is the source of these blessings, because he's doing everything that these blessings say, it also opens with that. If you look in chapter 33, it also opens with where the blessings come from where it says, this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, bade the Israelites farewell before he died. It says, the Lord came from Sinai. He shone upon them from Seir. He appeared from Mount Paran and approached from Reboboth Kodesh, lightning flashing at them from his right. Lover indeed of a people, they're holy, all in your hand. They followed in your steps, accepting your pronouncements. When Moses charged us with the teaching, as the heritage of the congregation of Jacob. Then he became king and Yeshurun, when the heads of the people assembled, the tribes of Israel, together, together. So the blessings on these tribes are the tribes of Israel together. It makes them one people together. Just like with the, the tribe of Asher showing us how the male and the female, they're different, but they're together. They have their own blessings, but they're together. The natural and the spiritual, together. That's the that's the unity of Adonai. That's the echad. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai echad. He's one. And these blessings right here show us the unity. So when he teaches us in the twins and the pairs to listen for the footsteps of Messiah, then I think not only is he telling us that once again, the, the natural and the spiritual, we'll, we'll see it bonding back together. I think you'll also see the the principles of the the male and the female, the spirit poured out together. It had a good start, and then it took a nosedive. <laughs> a couple of generations later, it took a big nosedive. But he's restoring the Torah to us. He's restoring the daughters of Israel to you know. He's restoring the blessings upon the tribes. He's forming them into one. He's doing all the work that needs to be done. We just have to walk in it. Thank you for exploring the Torah portion with us. For more information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com. You can find links there for our newsletter books, workbooks, Facebook and our YouTube channel.